It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. Joining me, as always, we have Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been busy. I guess this is like my standard answer. I just come back from Vancouver. I was there yesterday. I covered uh, the Whitecaps, the Cascadia Cup defeat to the Portland Timbers. I was an in and out operation. I think we all were on the road more or less this weekend. Uh, I spent nine hours on the road for um, basically three hours of football coverage. Yeah, so there's that. But, you know, it's always good. Busy is good. Um, lots going on on the Football Grad Network. Yeah, definitely. Busy is not a bad thing, but I wouldn't expect anything less from me, to be honest. Uh, another man, yeah, that's been on his uh, travels and uh, joining us, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, um, has that journey up to Scotland and back taken its toll on you? Uh, not really. Eight hours there, eight hours back. Obviously, I didn't do it in a day because that would be a whole day gone traveling. Um, yeah, I went up to for a long weekend. So, yeah, came back this morning, uh, left at eight, got back at four, a little bit tired. But I did pick up um, every league, every club, cup, club and every fixture um, about Scottish football. And I know nothing about Scottish football. So I picked up this little magazine. Um, that tells me all about it. So should any uh, German sides pull a Scottish team in Europe, I'll be able to write about them now. Well, there we go, eh? Now we've got a Scottish specialist on the pod as well. Just I won't, I won't go that far. <laughs> now, I, I, well, I look forward to your potential Scottish pod, no? No. No, didn't think so. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on. We're going to stick to all things German, I suppose. Uh, yeah, well, let's start off with um, a bit of a surprise defeat. I mean, uh, in, in pre-season, um, uh, you, you you play many games, don't you? You're, you're trying out new formations, new players and whatnot, and you're, you're not going to win them all, you know. Uh, but obviously, um, one stuck out, um, well, like a sore thumb a little this uh this last week, and that was uh, Bayern got beat by AC Milan, and not just narrowly, but four nil. Um, Chris, uh, this doesn't seem to have been uh, received very well in Germany. I, I mean, it's a it's a preseason game, isn't it? You know, but but how much um, do you think this may have affected them, or will it have affected them at all? I don't know if it affected them. It probably didn't help that um, Dortmund beat them three one a few days earlier um, and then buy and go out and get beat 4-0 it's a it's a pre-season game isn't it and it's a pre-season tour so it's a marketed exercise so whether the football actually matters or not um you know you could ask yourself that what's the quality of training like over there um the quality of pitches aren't the best um the stadiums are half empty um it's more of a 
a merchandise and marketing tour than it is um, a football training session. So I mean, they probably won't be happy that they got beat 4-0 um, and battered, in essence, 4-0. Um, and they also didn't play well against Arsenal, did they? Got beat on penalties, which is very unlike Bayern. Um, I suppose that may make up, um, if you're an Arsenal fan, for you know considerable 5-0 defeats over the last couple of seasons. I don't know whether it will or not. Uh, but for me, it's... Um, it's just a pre-season tour in an Asian country because they're trying to break into that market. Um, I don't know if it's worthy of much mention. Um, I suppose we'll see when the season gets underway. Manu, would you agree? Would you say that it's not to be looked into too much? I mean, a, a 4 0 defeat pre-season. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you win your first few games of, of the league season, league campaign, and all is forgotten. No. Yeah, um, it's a difficult one. Because it definitely did make the news in Germany. And, uh, there's all sorts of headlines. Kicker with a big picture showing, you know, several Bayern players completely exhausted on a bench. And, um, it is difficult conditions over there to play, but we have to remember AC Milan is playing under the same conditions. And I think what made this difficult is the, the travel, the, um, the training. Ancelotti is training a lot harder apparently this season than he did last year sort of to make up for what was by many considered a superb season i mean he still won the title but um you know the, the champions league and the, the cup uh, defeats really is something that stuck so it, it's it's um it's a tough one tough one for them because you know you want to market yourself and you want to show that you're this this big club at the same time you need to do this pre-season preparation it's such a fine balance so i think defeats are common but you know it was it was 3-0 after the first half and um they utterly fell apart yes there were some players missing uh, the Confed cup guys of course were not there tiago wasn't there so um i wouldn't really take it too much as a warning sign i think what is more of concern is these preseason games in general and, and i know chris in England, this has been done for a lot longer than it has been in germany but it is something that is pretty straining for clubs isn't it yeah, it is. Um, if you say, obviously, everyone will know I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, I am pretty much against it. I know it gives fans all over the world uh, a good chance to see their heroes in the flesh, but I would rather, um, and you can say this about any team, it doesn't have to be an English team, it could be a German side. I'd rather teams trained locally um, or within their own continent. I don't think there's any benefit to be had by going on a 12-hour flight um, and staying there and trying to acclimatize and get your body, you know, your biorhythm changed, um, change your food, change your heat and temperature. Um, you know, even as daft things as change of, of a different bed, um, I think it's disrupting. And I don't think it helps. Um, I don't think it helps English sides because there's no midwinter break. Um, German sides it is marketing. I, I mean, we'll see. The league's trying to break into new avenues, isn't it? You know, the league is trying to compete with the Premier League and it needs to break into the likes of the Asian market, um, China, Japan, um, Korea, or also the Americas, North and South. It needs to break into these areas to become um, a challenger and one of the strongest leagues in the world, which, you know, the Bundesliga wants to be. So they have to do it. But I, yeah, if I was a manager or a coach, I probably wouldn't want to do it very often. Um, I'd be surprised if they went all the way out to Asia again next year. Um, maybe they go a little bit more local next season. Yeah, it's a fine line, I think, because on the one hand, you, you mentioning the Premier League and you mentioned China and China is, you know, 
the Bundesliga's biggest market. And I, it's, I almost wonder, yes, these games are good. I think Dortmund almost did it better than Bayern. You know, Dortmund went there for two games, I believe, right? And, um, they played in Japan and in China and then went back and now they're, they're playing friendly games, um, back in Germany, which I think is probably better for them. We'll get into Dortmund, I guess, in a second. But I really wonder, you know, breaking into this market is one thing. Playing there, um, marquee friendlies is another thing. And, um, I wonder almost if for these clubs, it wouldn't be better to stay at home, to train at home and be more successful in the Champions League because that will automatically grow your brand worldwide, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And the whole reason you um, you train is is to get better. And I don't see why you need to go all the way over um, to Asia um, to do that, especially with the TV reach at the moment. And I know the Chinese fans and Japanese fans um, will want to see their players you know, up close and personal to get that. And if you see the video of Aubameyang being shouted at consistently when he was training by all the Chinese fans and the Japanese fans, you'll see how big a draw these players are when they go abroad. But um, for if you're trying to mount a serious challenge on league um, and a cup and a Champions League, uh, I don't think it's helpful to go on these long jaunts um, for very little football, you know, maybe four, five, six days on the ground and then straight back you've got travel there, travel back. It's a disruption to your plans. I can't see any problem with just going to Austria or, or Spain at a push. You want to be training somewhere that's relative to the climate you're going to be playing in. Um, I don't think there's any need to go to, and it's not just Asia, it's, it's Qatar, etc. Get the midwinter break, get that because you want to get some sun. Um, you want to get the muscles moving and you want to sort of relax as well as do a little bit of training. So going abroad, getting a bit of sun on your bones in midwinter, I get that. Um, going to uh, monsoon area um, at this time of year, I, d- I don't get. Obviously, it's all about marketing, and I do get that from a football-wise and from a coach. It must be horrendous. Yeah, Dortmund are going to be in the United States next year at, for the ICC, for the International Champions Cup, which is, of course, what they took part in this year in China. It's a global summer tournament. I think the better alternative, um, I, and this is a tournament that I've covered, is the Florida Cup in the winter. Because the Bundesliga in Germany in particular, it's hard to train in Germany at the winter time, right? And to go to a place like Florida, do your marketing during the winter break is almost a better alternative, I think, personally. But, you know, on the other hand, um, I get it. Fans from abroad, and I know that in the United States in particular, people are very excited when these clubs come. So it's, it's really a fine line, isn't it? Yeah, I remember when I read, um, was it Pep Confidential, um, you know, Pep Guardiola was saying that when he, I believe when he went to Bayern, that they already had a, a tour plan, didn't they? Uh, and he wasn't entirely happy, but I believe it was the States, uh, off the top of my head. And he said that next summer, definitely not. No way we can do this if we expect to win things. So he's one coach, uh, that by the sounds of it believes in that. But I mean, w- would you say that? Chris, the, the coaches get much of a say in it because, um, you know, as we were saying, it's, it's very much a marketing tool, uh, and they want to push the brand as much as they can, you know, from the business point of view. But do, do you think they, they take that on board when the coach says it, or do you think they just get overruled? I don't know if they get overruled as such. Um, obviously, there's a requirement to do it. You have to fulfill your sponsorship and your media duties. Uh, maybe they will take it into consideration so they won't do it every year. Maybe they'll do it every other year. Um, it, it depends what the club structure is, doesn't it, and how much the coach um, gets listened to over the sporting director and ultimately the chairman. Um, 
I do get, like Money said, I, I get why they've got to do it. I just don't think it's helpful. No, definitely not. I, I would agree with you on that. But uh, speaking of Byron, um, Manu, we, we've seen this week that Philip Lamb was voted as uh, Player of the Year in Germany. Uh, what do you make of this? Do you, do you think he, it was deserved or do you think it's a, a bit of a, well, you know, thanks very much. You know, we, we appreciate your time in the league. You know, he's been a fantastic player and one of those, uh, almost an achievement award. Yeah, it feels a bit like um, an achievement award. I feel that the, the German media has overlooked him for one reason or another until this point to give him this award that, you know, he's definitely deserves. Um, he has never won the Player of the Year award, which is considering his the career that he had and how great of a play he has been. And, you know, we highlighted many times throughout last season how good of a player he was and probably still would be if he was uh, still playing. Yet he's always, um, he's escaped this award one way or another. So I feel this season and, uh, he wasn't, this was not his best year. There were, would have been other years where I think he would have deserved it more. Um, even his breakout year where he played for Stuttgart on loan, I think that would have been a better season to give it to him. But I guess there was always someone else that, um, stood out a little bit more. So always escaped him. Um, so I think it's more of, um, an award for his life achievements, if you if you can say it that way, uh, kicker who who had this award um, interviewed him, and you can sort of sense in the interview that that both Lam and the, uh, the the magazine were a little bit at odds about this because um, I think, and I, I'm curious to hear what you think, Chris, but I think Tony Cross would have been the player that should have been given it. He had a magnificent season. He's um, perhaps Real Madrid's key player, won the Champions League for a second time in a row. And um, in my opinion, anyways, the standout, German standout player of the year. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to open the award to um, you know, German-based players and Germans playing abroad, um, then Cruz would make sense. Um, but there's plenty of others. Aubameyang scored... Um, a hatful of goals, you know, to break um, Lewandowski's heart. Lewandowski had a good season. Naby Keita had a good season. Uh, there's, there's all sorts. I do think it's very much of a, um, you know, congratulations on a great career. Um, sorry to see you go. Oh, by the way, I've Player of the Year. Um, that's what it smacks off to me. I would have even said Iron Robin is possibly Player of the Year. I know he's injured uh, for parts of it, but you know, in a season that a lot of people like expected him to to maybe slow down a little bit there was no sign of that whatsoever um would you agree with that Manu or is that a bit of a a bit of an exaggeration on maybe um what he achieved this year yeah Arim Robin I, I think he was better in 2014 during that World Cup year I think he was very good and I think he's always a very good player but um you know <laughs> I, I think this may not have been um been the year where he could have won it. I think the other players in contention, uh, Tony Kroos finished second, uh, Aubameyang finished third, Lewandowski finished fourth, Modeste fifth, uh, Forsberg, Dembele, Werner, Kruse, and Robin then on tenth. Uh, you know, I think of those top five, Tony Kroos is really the one that stood out the most for me. And, I mean, I, I think Philip Lahm deserves a player of the year award. And I think he is, you know, I, I, I can't highlight this enough. I think he is perhaps the best player of his generation. Um, you know, of that golden generation that won the World Cup. 
when you just take his pure talent, he's perhaps the best player of that generation. He just happened to play in a position that didn't stand out, you know, uh, right back, left backs don't stand out like midfielders or attacking players do. Even goalkeepers, you know, Manuel Neuer has won the award twice, I believe. And uh, that's because they're not marquee players, but players that may, that are responsible for, for marquee moments in a game. So I think that that's one of the reasons why Philip Lahm has um, always been a little bit overlooked, which isn't perhaps fair. Yeah, I, I think uh, Philip Lahm will be missed, certainly in the uh, Bundesliga this year. And I, I completely understand what you're saying. In that type of position, almost if nothing goes wrong or nothing spectacular happens, it's almost a job well done, but it's not really seen, um, is it? Um, but yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about Coach of the Year now. And uh, Julian Nagelsmann managed to uh, get that one off uh, Hoffenheim. I mean, Chris, he, he really has had a fantastic season, hasn't he? And especially at his age. I mean, he's such a young age. He's, st- he's still in his 20s. Um, I, I would have to say probably, probably deservedly so he, he won it. What about yourself? Um, yeah, I do think. Uh, he's just turned 30 as well, by the way, the other day. Or is oh. it today? What is it today, for? isn't it? It's today. It's the 23rd, oh. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 happy birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Union Nugglesman. Yeah. Um, I knew it was around about this time his birthday was. Yes, yeah, the 23rd, isn't it? Um, yeah, happy happy 30th birthday. Um, he's had a fantastic season, hasn't he, uh, last season. Um, revolutionised um, Hoffenheim, I think, real... Uh, master of the three-five-two. If you look at some of the games, um, you know we saw. I mean, early on, straight away, uh, I think it was it match day two. They beat Werder Bremen away five-three, um, which was a good sign. Um, and they went on and beat Gladbach, and then obviously they beat Bayern and had a string of good results. Um, you know that didn't um, didn't see them lose for a long time, did it? Um, they were on one of the best. Uh, unbeaten streaks for a long time, weren't they? Um, in fact, they were the only unbeaten side in Europe at one point, uh, Europe's top five leagues. So um, he's had a brilliant season and you know, quite rightly, he's been tipped for um, bigger and better jobs in the next few seasons. But it's a real good indication of, of clubs promoting from within, wasn't it? He's an assistant coach. Um, and then he looked after, you know, the, he looked at the under 17s and the under 19s. Um, and Mano will no doubt tell us um, that at one point he spent some time at 1860 Munich. Uh, but he has, he's got a tactical, um, a tactical brain and that's really good to see. He's constantly moving on the side. He's talking to his players. He's, he's a player's player. Um, you can, you can see the affinity as with those around him. And whenever I've uh, had the privilege of watching him coach, he is very enigmatic. Uh, and he would certainly, enable me to play through the brick wall, which is what a lot of players need. And um, I think there's some special things could be happening at Hoffenheim this coming year, especially if they can get through what will undoubtedly be a hard qualifier for them for the Champions League. I would really like to see him pit his wits against some of the best coaches in Europe. Yeah, but talking about um, how good his stats were this year as well, I mean, if we just look at them uh, very briefly, I mean, you have 48 games while he's been in charge, 23 he's won, 16 he's drew and only 9 he's lost. I mean, that's a phenomenal start, especially when Hoffenheim never would have been expected to finish as high as they were uh, at the, you know, come the end of the season. And yeah, that, he's done a fantastic job there, hasn't he, Manu? Yeah, and considering that uh, it almost all ended with the first game, yeah, and the 
5-1 defeat to Stuttgart when he first came in. And remember, this was when he was 27 still, 28. So, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of doubters when Nagelsmann first started, you know, the, the promotion to head coach and what was probably the most difficult time in Hoffenheim's still young, young, uh, history. Um, although the club was founded in 1899, we, we all know that it really kicked off much later than that. And the fact that he came in as a 28 year old, um, basically just a background in junior A coaching. So this is the U19 sites in Germany. And, um, you know, has had fantastic results in junior coaching, uh, including at my club, as Chris rightly pointed out, 1860, which, um, until recently had one of the best youth academies in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, just went, went into this league and uh, took over a club that was by many considered at that point to be uh, for sure going down to Bundesliga too, um, you know, and under difficult circumstances too, because he wasn't supposed to take over till the summer. Then Hope Stevens, the coach at Hoffenheim got sick and, um, Hanagelsmann had to take over and he turned around. He turned it around despite losing that, that game 5-1 to Stuttgart, um, which is a regional rival, of course. And, um, managed to keep the club in the league, which is sensational, really, um, now in retrospect. And then, um, you know, took, took the club from, from saving them, basically. Then he lost Kevin Folland in the summer. And, um, really we all thought that Hoffenheim would, you know, finish in the middle of the table, middle of the pack or thereabouts. We all knew how talented of a coach he was, but we all thought, you know, he will take some time to um to adjust but you mentioned his stats um since Nagelsmann has been coach at Hoffenheim only Bayern and Dortmund have um collected more points than they have so that is that is a remarkable remarkable numbers and I think what stands out for me the most is his ability to to switch tactics um throughout the game to just adjust and um, do you have, do you have his players completely commit to the way they're playing? And con- remember this, most of the, the, his teammates, uh, well, teammates, I'm saying teammates, but most of the players he's coaching could be his teammates age-wise. And that is, I think that's, that is something that also stands out for me that this, this young guy who's younger than me is able to lead players and some very difficult players. I mean, one of the guys that he's coaching is Sandro Wagner. And we all know that Sandro Wagner is quite a character, but Sandro Wagner under Nagelsmann developed into a national team player. And I think that is something that, um, as the tactical stuff aside, and he is a tactical genius, but to also be able to, to manage all these players and players that are his own age, I think that speaks for itself. I think we we can't even imagine how difficult that would be. I mean, Chris, you have coached a lot, but could you imagine doing that? You know, walking into a dressing room um, and being the same age as most of your players, and could be actually be a teammate. It's it's a fine balance between being the head coach and almost being like a teammate, isn't it? Yeah, it must be exceptionally difficult because the norm in football is your coach is always old and I've only coached youth football. So I'm in that position where you're looked upon as old and maybe a little wiser, although I wouldn't count myself as very wise, but you've got that, 
that air around you, haven't you? And and it must be very difficult. If you look at Bayern, for example, you've got Ancelotti who's been there, seen it, done it. He's got this aura around him. Um, and Nagelsmann's just uh, you know just turned thirty, so you're quite right. There's players there um, that'll be younger and either his age or just maybe slightly older. But you're right. It's it's. I don't know if it's because he's so young. He seems to have no fear. I mean. I haven't seen a coach like like him for some time. He's just ability to switch uh, tactics, and they must work on that because the amount of formations they played. He started off last season with four three three, and then he switched to three one four two, and then he went five at the back for a bit, um, and they were winning with five at the back. And then all of a sudden, he changed it to three at the back and went three five two for a bit, and then back to three one four two. And then eventually, all the way back down to the end of the season, um, second to last game, they went four three three again. So he's got the ability to switch his side up, um, which gives you an indication of just how much tactical um, tactical level of training they must do um, in their sessions, because you can't expect your players to switch between systems um, so easily um, and get it right. I mean. I suppose a little earlier on in the season, we said maybe they had a bit too uh, many draws, but I don't think that comes from tactics wise. You know, he's able to um, switch between playing Bayern and then playing Dortmund with different formations and then playing Werder Bremen and picking up points, you know, then eventually when they did get beat, they got beat twice in in close succession and he kept with the same, uh, he kept with the same system and then he changed it for the Darmstadt game um, over on match day 21, I think it was. And and then they went on another great run, um, which lasted, and they were beaten by Hamburg in 28. They were beaten 2-1, and he switched the formation again, and funnily enough, they were back to winning ways. So it's just a constant evolution of his system, and that is really hard to plan against if you are looking um, to, you know, if you're going to play Hoffenheim, you send your scouting department out and you'll have your um, tactical analysis department. And when you sit down and say, right, okay, we've got Hoffenheim this week, um, what formation do you think they're going to play? You don't have a clue because they can play any formation and the, the players within can play in that formation. And and are they going to be offensive or are they going to be defensive? Are they going to drop off or are they going to do a high line? It's really hard to combat against. I think that's why we saw them do as well as they did. It's because they're an unknown entity week in, week out, which is hard to plan for. And they, they don't rest on that either. The things that they're bringing in this season it's really interesting. They put up a huge screen next to the training ground so that, you know, players could watch, um, everything that they've just done in real time. Um, that was brought in by SAP, which is, of course, the company that Dietmar Hopp owns, the big uh, software company. And then they put up and they read this today. And I think this is quite remarkable. They're trying something new. They're trying, uh, audiovisual training for, so that new players can, can adapt faster to the tactics. And I mean, Chris, you mentioned how difficult it must be for a player to play and all these various tactics. So what they have, they have all these screens installed all over the, um, the training facility in, uh, Zutzenhausen and in Hoffenheim, where basically the, the tactical formations are running on screens all the time. So if you walk from the dressing room and onto the field, there's screens all along the walls where players can just, um, watch basically highlights and stuff from last season. And it's constantly playing so that when players um, 
have it in, as a background noise, a visual background noise all the time, which is really fascinating. And they admitted themselves, Hoffenheim themselves admitting, and this is an experiment. We don't know if it actually works, but they're not resting on any of that. You know, last season they brought in the, the technology to help players react faster. The, the foot now or robot now, whatever it's called, it was one of them. And, um, he's, he's very innovative and, you know, that makes him a very valuable commodity. I, you know, a lot of people in Germany thought that he's going to buy and he extended his contract. Um, Dietmar Hopp has recently said he will not let him go even for 400 million euros. Um, so that's, that's, you know, that would be a, a new dimension for a coach because he's so valuable. He's more valuable. He's considered more valuable than any of the players on, on the squad. And I think that. That is something that we're seeing in Germany, especially right now, that the clubs have not only started to develop youth players, but also youth coaches that can then, you know, be thrown in. And these, these coaches are innovative, really innovative. And in this innovative, like Pep Guardiola was or Thomas Tuchel was, but there's another element that I really personally really like about Julian Nagelsmann. We always get the, um, with Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola, we get the sense that they're almost technocratic. But Julian Nagelsmann, you don't have that. There's a very strong human element with him too. You know, he's, I don't say he's a buddy-buddy coach, but he is not a standoffish kind of coach. He's, he's very much adapt to the players and senses the, the dressing room and uh, is very good at making jokes and very, very good at, um, sensing the, the, the mood of the dressing room. So that makes him almost, that next evolutionary stop, um, as a revolutionary um, stop, right after we had um, Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola, these technical, tactical masterminds um, that went into a club, reformed the club, brought in tactics, and then moved on. But with him, we almost get the sense that that's almost the next level. Yeah, he just seems to have a fantastic footballing brain on him. I mean, he was a, a young. Uh hopeful uh and labeled as a bit of a, a wonder kid wasn't he with his uh ability he seemed to be a you know, a real hot prospect and unfortunately um injury stopped him but he he seems to have been able to use that knowledge uh hone it into uh tactics which uh we've seen plenty of players over the years um be able to do it on the pitch and look fantastic but just haven't been able to uh progress from one to the other and he doesn't seem to be having a uh, too much of a, a problem there does he but uh we'll move on to um uh, Borussia Dortmund now. We're we're going to speak a a little bit about them. There there was um there was a bit of a rumor about uh, Obama. I'm going to China. This seemed to be on and off, on and off, didn't it for a while? And then there was talk about him uh, this week uh, going in the winter. But uh, it it seems to be um have been crushed by by the club, hasn't it, Chris? Um, it, what what exactly is going on here with uh, Obama? I think the technical phrase uh, in England is it's been shit canned. Uh, instantly, wasn't it? Um, th- they tweeted out straight away that it was um, that you know no deal was in place for the Bamiyang for a club in the winter, uh, and they came out quite quick to to quash this rumor. Now, it's very rare that football clubs come out um, and speak about rumors in the press. I don't know if they did this so quick because it was Bild that said um, he would go to PSG, wasn't it? Um, mm known enough quite after the Pokal final. Um, they were hinting that he would make a move the week after and that was never to be. So 
maybe the club had just had enough of this particular news outlet at that time and decided to stamp on it. Um, I mean, it's a constant rumour, and if you're asking why won't it go away, probably because it sells papers and it drives clicks and it drives advertising space on websites because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is a big player and a big draw and he's big news. So um, media outlets, you know, including us, um, we'll, we'll talk about him as we're doing now because because he's a big news, he's a big player. Um, so I think the club have come out and quashed that. Whether it stops the rumours completely, I'm not so sure. We'll probably see it ramp up again as we reach October. That is probably going to leave in the winter window. Um, it was good to see the club come out, though, and say that's it. International window's closed. He's not going anywhere. Um, so they're now planning for him to be there for the rest of the season, um, which, as we've spoken at great length before, is excellent for the club because I believe, and, and you know, Manu said it in the past, I think even you have, Bryce, that Aubameyang fits Dortmund like a hand in a glove and I don't know where else he would get the sort of uh, level of goals and level of performance he gets consistently anywhere else outside of Dortmund. You know, Chris, I wonder, though, maybe it is actually Aubameyang that makes these rumours... Uh keep them around not because he wants to leave i don't think he actually does but um he's constantly in the news and he's developed into such a brand name you know he's you have Borussia Dortmund you have the Bundesliga and then you have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and that's not that's not negative at all but he's become not i don't think he's the best player in the league but he's best definitely become the player that we speak the most of when we talk about the Bundesliga It's Aubameyang this, it's Aubameyang that, Aubameyang to Paris Saint-Germain, Aubameyang to Milan, Aubameyang to China. Uh, when you really analyze all these rumors, uh, you can all put them into the nonsense box, right? But we still all talk about it all the time. And um, the Bild-Zeitung, there is, you know, in Dortmund forums and then when you talk to people in, in and around Dortmund, they're all saying, well, it's not the Bild, it's the Blurt, which means stupid in Germany. Basically, uh, replacing the I with an O. Um, I don't think they actually are stupid. You know, they, the build is a lot of things. And uh, when it comes to creating rumors, they're second to none. They're not nothing like what we have in the English press, um, but they are close to it. And I don't think they are stupid. And I don't think they're necessarily making things up. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. I don't personally think that... There's anything to this, but it, it's coming from somewhere. And um, we all know that Aubameyang is, likes to promote his brand, right, Chris? And remember the, the mask that he put on, the Venom mask? And uh, Yeah, yeah he's, he's very good, isn't he? He's very good at doing that, and he doesn't mind getting a, um, a telling off from his own club for that. Yeah, so you almost wonder, if you think about where it could come from, um, not saying that he's generating it, but... He's definitely benefiting from it, don't you think so? Oh yeah, and um, you know, personally, we've seen that in the last few weeks, haven't we? But it's um, it's it's an interesting theory that he may like to keep himself in the press, and he, he wouldn't be the first footballer, and I doubt he would be the last one to do that. Um, Ronaldo was exceptionally good at it when he was um, in England. Um, he's probably just as good as it in Spain. So I just don't read the Spanish press that often. Um, but yeah, he's a big player and. I think he will be surrounded by rumour constantly throughout his career, whether he's in Germany or whether he moves to Spain or Italy. I think he's just one of those characters that'll, that creates his own press circle. Yeah, I would go along with that. I mean, it's, it's definitely benefiting for him because I think he's definitely the biggest brand name that we have in that league. Yeah, Manu, I think you might be onto something there. I think that's 
that could uh, very well be the case because he's he just seems to be reported every day going somewhere or Chelsea or something like that, isn't it? But there never seems to be much substance about it. But yeah, let's um, let's see how that one uh, pans out. I think everyone can agree on this uh, pod that it looks like he won't be going anywhere anytime soon. And that's a good but, thing. That's a really yeah, good thing because we want to have I him in the so. league. Yeah. Definitely, that's what I was going to say. I, th- I think he's a he's a great player to watch in the Bundesliga. I think he's at a club, as Chris said, uh, that we all agree seems to fit really well for him. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's keep him. Uh, but a man that's uh, returned is uh, Mario Götze. He's got a bit of playing time this week after having a metabolic uh, disorder. Uh, Mario, how good a news is this? Not just for Dortmund. But for the player himself, I mean, there was rumors a few months back, wasn't there? Uh, I remember being in an airport. Uh, I can't remember where, but it come through and people had said that he had decided to retire. Uh, that was a load of nonsense. But um, th- th- that probably does go to show, you know, just um, how frustrated he possibly was. And, you know, how, how big a disorder and problem this can be for a player. Yeah, no, it's we don't actually know what exactly it was. There's a few theories what it could have been, um, don't want to indulge that too much. The, the key thing is he's back. Um, metabolic disorders are very tough, um, to treat because your body, your body doesn't do what you want it to do. And you can train as much as you want to. And, um, your body doesn't react the way it should. And that makes it very difficult. And we've seen Mario Guts, um, um, gain weight over the last few years and, that was not because he wasn't trying. He was working very hard. And some say he was even working too hard, but it's just, you know, something was wrong with him and metabolic disorders are nasty. They really are. So, um, thankfully for him, he, his, whatever exactly it is, um, is treatable and, uh, metabolic disorder treatment takes about six months until your body reacts usually, um, to some sort of hormone treatment and you, you best served in that time to um, leave your body alone to adjust and um, train on your own and um, train the right way, eat the right way, um, be uh, among friends and family. And that's, I think, um, what the club did. They isolated him quite well in that time. And then I think it was mid-July, around the time of the Confederations Cup, he tweeted out a picture of him running and jogging. Um, wherever it was, I believe he was in California and he looked good. He looked really healthy and he looked, um, the way he looked when he was at his best. And, um, the pictures that you see of him now training, there's always a smile on his face and he looked very happy in China and in Japan and was very much in demand. And we're talking about Aubameyang as a brand. Mario Götze was on the way to become the German Messi. And I don't say this lightly. I think from his talent level, he is the most talented player we have in Germany, period. And he's still young enough to show that. And I think if he, if he is being now treated the right way and if he can get the playing time, which he will get because he, Peter Bosch as the coach has already made it clear. He's going to be the key player in Dortmund's midfield in that 4-3-3 playing sort of an offensive midfield position in, uh, in that three man formation in midfield. Which I think is, is going to be very interesting to watch. And I personally, I can't wait for him to get going again because I mean, Chris, remember when he first broke out, he was phenomenal. Um, I remember friendly against Brazil in Stuttgart where Germany won 3-2 and there was Neymar on the field and Götze completely outplayed him. And 
if you can get that back, I think we're in all in for a treat. I mean, we saw it for flashes since then, the World Cup final, um, that moment of glory that defines his career and will define his career for the rest of his life shows how good of a player he is. But I think, and I mean, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, Chris, but I think there is still tons of time for him to become that player. Yeah, there is. And I don't know how long um, he's had this problem for, but it may give uh, the sort of indication, I think we talked about it a while ago, of just maybe why he didn't hit the heights probably he could have done after he left Dortmund and um, and went to Bayern. And then obviously he's come back, hasn't he? So where he was diagnosed and he spent a lot of time off and it was really good to see him back and, he tweeted at the end of the match when he came back on that it was good to be back. And, you know, that was liked and retweeted thousands of times. I think everybody, regardless of what football team you support inside of Germany, was glad to see Mario Götze come back. And that's probably because of how um, valuable he is to the national side when he's on top form. Um, and he's young enough to to get back to where he was as long as his, his metabolic problems are behind him or he's able to keep them under control or the club are able to keep them under control with the club doctors. Um, he can get back to that level because, uh, you know, at one point um, he was what a phenomenal player, wasn't it? It was time of the, um, time of the Champions League final in Wembley. It was all around that that period where he was, you know, if someone from any club in Europe said, oh, um, name a player you'd like to sign, Mario Goetz was top of the list. Um, so I'm glad to see him back. Um, I will be glad to see him uh, drip fed back into the Dortmund side this coming season. And hopefully as we get into the new year, um, I think he may be, um, a starting player um, under Bosch um, and that would be great as I say not just for Dortmund but for Germany as a whole because yeah you're quite right he, he, you know he'll live forever with that goal that he scored um, and that's an indication of, of how good he is and if we're able to see him get back to that it'll be a thrill for everybody watching the Bundesliga and the national side. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I'm very excited to see more of him. Um, I think he's a, a hell of a talent. Um, I hope that he, um, yeah, he comes back uh, pretty soon. We'd all like to see him well, and no, we we don't like to see any players uh, be out with injuries, and so especially not not anything like this, you know. So you know, good luck. Up to him, but uh, yeah, we're going to move on to uh, Freiburg now, who actually are starting their European campaign. Um, yeah, a little bit early. Uh, we're not even in August. Uh, Chris, I, I mean, you've been uh, previewing this. Um, can you explain just who exactly they're playing? And uh, yeah, d- d- surely it must affect the players who are pl- starting their their season this early, right? Yeah, so um, they're going to be back in action this week against um, NK Domzali, a Slovenian side, um, and it is uh, qualifying round three of the Europa League, two-legged qualification, and then that goes through to the playoff, um, and that's another two-legged occasion, and then after that you go into the group stages, so... Um, Freiburg are in this position because they finished seventh um, and then Dortmund won the Pokal, but they're all already in a Champions League. So the Pokal Europa League slot defaulted to seventh place in the Bundesliga, which is Freiburg. That's why they're in it. Uh, and they're going to be playing Domzale this week, who are Slovenian. Now, the problem they'll have um, is the Slovenian um, Premier League has already started. They're two games into it. So... Um, Domsali have already um, played a couple of games um, and they won one handsomely the other night, um, 4-0 at home. Uh, that was on Sunday, so yeah, yesterday. And Freiburg, well, 
you know, we eulogized over them uh, on last season's um, pod many a time, didn't we? They were, um, they are fantastic, but um, they've had a couple of departures um, that may be um, a little, may leave them a little short. Uh, one of them is obviously Maximum Philip, who's gone on to um, Dortmund. And then um, one of my players of the season, um, Vincenzo Grifo, has gone to Gladbach, who I thought he's, he's been a brilliant player throughout the whole of last season for me. Um, so they're a little bit lighter than they were last year. However, I think they might just have enough over two legs um, to get through this qualifying round three and then into the playoff. Now, whether they can get past that, um, will depend who they draw. There's some real strong teams um, in that qualification round. But, you know, it's two-legged game. Uh, anything can happen over two legs, especially um, if they can get a positive result at home on Thursday, um, either a draw or, um, you know, a home win. An away goal would be awful. Um, in fact, um, Dom Zale, uh, played Stuttgart, um, in the 2005-2006 UEFA Cup, but they won um, at Stuttgart. So they've been to Germany before and won. Um, so, um, oh, sorry, no, they won at home um, against Stuttgart. So they know what it takes to beat German teams, although it was a very long time ago and those players will have retired, but um, it's still something they can look back on. So whether Freiburg have got enough, I don't know um, at the moment. Um, and we talked about it last season, didn't we, Manu, that, a good run in the Europa League might actually be detrimental to their league campaign this coming season. Yeah, that's that's the fear with especially with teams like Freiburg, you know, the smaller sides that don't have the squad depth. And you you quite rightly identified that they lost Phillips and Grifo and had uh, some difficulty replacing them, mainly because everyone in the world knows that they got 20 million for Philip alone and uh, any player that they're sort of been targeting. The club has said right away, oh, yeah, we would like the large chunk of those 20 millions that you just got from Borussia Dortmund. So I think it's there in a little bit of a difficult situation in that regard. But I, I trust Streich, the, the coach. Uh, I think he is very good at getting his players ready. Freiburg have some other players that are very good. Yannick Haber is uh, someone I want to highlight. Florian Niederlechner, who you highlighted in the, the preview, uh, which is available on fußballstadt.com. Um, is also very good. And I think, you know, this Freiburg is still a Bundesliga side. And this is no disrespect to the Slovenian Briva Liga, but, um, you know, they have to beat them. And that's, that's just, that's just the bottom line. If you're a Bundesliga side and you finish seventh, you have to be able to beat, um, the Slovenian opposition. And I think that that first game is going to be extremely difficult for them because they basically have to go from friendly mode, friendly game mode to, um, a full season mode right away. And I think that's, that's going to be hard. And we've seen some really weird lopsided results, uh, in Europa League. I remember Dortmund last year. They think they, they played play the team from Norway and it was 5-3. And, uh, Schalke lost, uh, their first leg against Helsinki a couple of years ago and then won the second game 6-3. Um, so it shows you it's a little bit an odd time for Bundesliga sides to play. But, you know, the quality on the field should see them through. And then, um, you know, once you're a little bit later in, they should be able to attract the necessary players 
to to do well both in the Europa League and in the Bundesliga. And the Bundesliga is key for Freiburg. Um, you know, Euro, they're not in the Europa League doing it. They're in the Bundesliga, stay in the league because they're one of those teams that can do very well but also can flirt with relegation. Yeah, most certainly. It's going to be testing times for them. Uh, Chris, you mentioned that there might be some difficult sides for them to come up against in the next round. Um, can you name some of these teams or name one that would be particularly hard for them? Well, it's when the, the, the next round is when you'll get the, um, the, the qualifications from the likes of the Premier League and, and Serie A and the league will drop through. So you'll start to see some more, um, what you would say household names, um, come into that competition. That's where their problem, um, might come up against. Obviously, it depends on how qualification round three goes. Um, because there are some, you know, some all right teams in that as well, who they then could face, um, in the next. It's, it's in the lap of the gods, isn't it? When you are uh, awaiting a draw. Um, I've gone for them to leak one away goal though. And for everything, um, that Manu said, because they're still in that preseason mode. Um, so I've gone for them to win, um, albeit 2-1, which would be a dangerous score for them to, um, go back to Slovenia with. Oh, testing times so, then. Um, yeah. Well, let's just see how that one pans out that's thursday night chris yeah yeah thursday night um five past eight uk um five past nine um on the continent lovely jubbly so any firebug fans i'm sure you'll be tuning in and i wish you the best of luck um guys we're going to talk now um well normally throughout the season we we talk about uh bundesliga but we always cover a little bit bundesliga too as well and so that is upon us as of this weekend i believe um Manu, who are you looking forward to seeing uh, you in Bundesliga 2 league campaign this year? I mean, last year, we had so many big hitters, didn't we? We had Hanover, we had Stuttgart, obviously, uh, those guys have been promoted. But um, there's still a lot of big sides down there, and there's still an awful lot to to play for, isn't there? Yeah, the three biggest teams are gone. Two went to the Bundesliga, and one went to Regionalliga Bayern. Um, <laughs> well, no, that could be. Well, I think uh, Manu's be. looking forward to seeing Jan Regensburg. <laughs> um, no, I'm actually am excited to to watch the league because I can finally watch it as a neutral. Um, no uh, jokes aside, I think it is going to be an interesting season, and it's going to be a very balanced season because the the real big hitters Stuttgart and Hannover. And we all knew that they would go up, right? It, it was basically set in stone, and it, that's what happened. Um, they are gone and that leaves a wide open field. And I, I mean, we're looking, when you look at the teams that are in and now, the teams that went down from the Bundesliga, Ingolstadt and Darmstadt, and this is no disrespect to them, they're more typical Bundesliga two sides than Bundesliga sides. So they're not the kind of teams that drop into Bundesliga two and you, everyone expects them to go straight up. Um, in fact, I don't think either one of those team, two teams will actually be promoted back to the Bundesliga next season. I think that there's too many other sides in Bundesliga 2 right now that are better equipped, um, better put together as a team and um, are just stronger than either Ingolstadt or Darmstadt. And um, that makes it interesting because it will be a very, very wide open league. And I'm really curious to see it. I mean, some of the teams that I have on the list uh, to do very well. And one of them is we saw last year is Union Berlin. Uh, I think that they are hands on favorites to win the league and to, to go up this year and which would be really great. I mean, Chris, we went to Berlin and we had such a great time at their stand, uh, the stadium and 
Uh, the news recently have been that the stadium will be expanded to 34,000 seats, which is fantastic news. And um, I, I, I would be very, very excited to see them in the Bundesliga. And Chris, who, who are you looking at? Who are you going to point at uh, potentially going up or, or you should keep your eyes on this, this coming season? Oh, wow. Difficult question, isn't it? Um, I mean, well, quite Uni, and Berlin, yeah. Uni and Berlin for a start. And as Manu said, uh, we um, went there in May and it was a um, fantastic uh, Sunday, wasn't it? Bryce, you were on the um, you were on the main tribune. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brody. Which, which looked, I mean, it looked impressive from where um, Manu and I were sat in the... Uh, and we can, I think we can just about say it was a press box. It was very small. Um <laughs> But the the atmosphere w- was unbelievable, and and yeah, they they're going to be one to watch. Um, I watched um, Bochum play um, Dortmund the other night, um, give them a bit of a scare. Um, but I'll be really interested uh, to see Saint Pauli, who had a bit of a shocking season last season, and were lucky eventually to pull themselves away of relegation. Obviously, a big club. Um, with a big back in and, and maybe one that can push on this year. I mean, there's so many I could go on all night. Dynamo Dresden, I like watching, mm. um, Kaiserslautern, Nuremberg. Obviously, I saw, um, Braunschweig play in the relegation playoff against, um, Wolfsburg. They were another good side that I enjoyed watching for, for the match that I was there. So there's lots again. Um, to keep your eye on for this league. So it's not all about the the, the first league on a um, Saturday and a Sunday. There's plenty to watch um, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday this season. Yeah, yeah definitely. A, it's going to be an exciting uh, weekend because we get to watch some German football again, even if it's not the uh, the top league, I suppose. But um, I, I'm going to do a shout-out for uh, Holsten Kiel. I'm not saying that they're going to get uh, promoted, but I'd like to see them stay in the league, at least and establish themselves. Uh, I mean, this is a side that have won some of the regional uh, leagues uh, back in, I believe, the 1920s if I'm not wrong, but um, they've never been in Bundesliga, so it, it would be great if they could establish themselves and maybe move onward and upward over the next few years. That would be quite nice. I'd, I think, uh, Manu, you said that that region has uh, really struggled to um, to produce uh, Bundesliga sides that far north in Germany. Yeah, they never had a Bundesliga side, so Holstein Kiel um, as handball, European handball country, actually. Um, they have one of the most successful European handball teams in the world, THV Kiel. So it's been um, a part of Germany that supports a different sport rather than football. But Holstein Kiel have a strong backing, financial backing, and there is a real initiative to get the team uh, established in Bundesliga too. And they have a long-term vision for Bundesliga even, which uh, would make sense. Kiel is a world-class city. It's a smaller town, but it's a world-class city. Big harbor town. And a part of Germany that has not had uh, Bundesliga football. Of course, Hamburg is close by, but Hamburg is his own state. So um, it, it'd be interesting to see that develop. Um, although I think it will, they will have a difficult first year um, from Liga 3 to Bundesliga 2. <laughs> although I, sh- I should be careful when I'm saying I've seen teams go up and then go straight up to Bundesliga. It's happened quite a many times. So... Um, it could also go the other way. Um, but I want to actually give another shout out to Bochum and Chris really rightly identified them. I thought they looked very good against Dortmund and that's a side I think we should keep an eye on this year. 
I, can I just go a, a little bit off topic, but uh, speak about uh, St. Pauli? Uh, Chris mentioned them, but what, what is the, what's the deal with them and Stoke City at the moment? There, there was something uh, oh, they've, yeah, the they've, other day. They've got is there an agreement, agreement? Yeah, it's just an agreement. So they're going to share ideas, uh, coaching ideas, um, youth development ideas. Um, I think Stoke City are quite keen to see how St. Pauli get embedded within the community, um, not just with the fans, but I think more on the, the youth football side of it. Um, so it's it's an arrangement. Um, it's, it's definitely not um, some sort of feeder arrangement, as we've seen with other clubs, um, especially the Premier League, have, have hooked up with Belgian teams in the past to be um, feeder teams. This isn't going to be a feeder situation. It's purely Stoke City looking at St. Pauli's setup and seeing if they can um, borrow bits from it. Yes, that's fair play to them. I mean, uh, St. Pauli, you you see your know, hoodies and uh, your caps and shirts and whatever, like uh, I suppose like stamps or what do you call it, badges or whatever, uh, all around the world, don't you? You see them everywhere, and you know I, I believe it's because they're they're more of a you know, socialist setup, aren't they? But very much a community setup, and they do a lot for the local community. And I suppose Stoke could learn a lot from that, uh, couldn't they, Manu? Yeah, I'm not sure how the socialist left-wing St. Pauli identity fits with anything that stands for the Premier League. Um, you know, I will probably get a lot of flack for that, but I think the, the capitalist nature of the English Premier League will make it difficult for any team there to become anything what St. Pauli is, you know, an alternative club looking for alternative means to, to make money and uh, not make money, but, you know, to, to, to stand out in the world of the very commercialized German football as well. Um, don't want to say German football is much different, but um, I look at Stokes transfers. You know, although they did make some, some bit windfalls uh, recently by selling an out but it's not, I, I can't see that the two identities fit very well. Um, that's just my, my personal opinion. Um, can you learn a lot from St. Pauli? I think you can because, you know, they have managed to, to make a niche for themselves in, in Hamburg and stand as a, as a smallish club, stand, um, apart from, you know, the big juggernaut that is Hamburger as well. And I, I think that is something that any club in the world, including my own club, 1860, and they're going down that route now can learn quite a bit about. Yeah, most certainly. But, um, guys, uh, we're coming up to the end of the pod, but, we finally get to do it again. And that is pick your game of the week. The game to look forward to uh, this coming weekend. And no doubt sandwiches will be stolen as they were last year. Uh, but let's start with, let's start with Chris. Chris, you can have first dibs. What game would you point out in Bundesliga 2 for people to tune in or check out and why? Um, I'm going to go for Friday night's game, Bochum against St. Pauli for um, the reason I just talked about both those sides previously. Um, and it's Friday night. It's the first game of the season. So everybody should be watching it. And that's the whole reason I'm going for that, Bryce. No more, no less. There goes my sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that would happen. I was like, who am I going to give this one to? Uh, I know then what, what's your second choice? Oh, um, I'm, I'm going to, I would suggest to watch uh, Nuremberg against Kaiserslautern, two very traditional Bundesliga sides trying to, to claw their way back into the top flight and uh, be interesting to see how they get this season kicked off. 
I think it could be quite interesting at uh, Ingolstadt uh, versus uh, Union. Uh, Ingolstadt just getting uh, relegated last year, and they had a little bit of fight towards the end, but it just wasn't enough. But I'm going to pick the uh, holsten Kiel game. Uh, they may be playing uh, Sandhausen, who finished about mid-table last year, but let's just see um, how uh, you know how Kiel get on, I suppose, at the uh, Holsten Stadion. Uh, there should be um, a good crowd there, and they, it should be rocking. First game of the season, it would be good to get three points, I think. So, um, yeah, I'll go for that one on the Sunday. Uh, but that more or less does it for this week. Chris, what have you got going on this week? Uh, what would you like to shout out for or where can people find you online? Um, people can find me online on Twitter um, at Chris78Williams. Um, and I've, and we talked about it earlier on, I've done the preview for Freiburg's return to the Europa League against Domzale. So that's on Fußballstadt.com. Um, and then we're back in, hopefully, now, the running into the start of the season. So previews will be coming thick and fast um, for both domestic and um, European. And of course, we've got first round of the Cup starting very soon. So, um, yeah, there'll be lots going on. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer, aren't we? Very exciting times. Um, Manu, what have you got going on this week? No doubt plenty. And where can people find you online? Yeah, people can follow me on Twitter at Manuel Veth. Chris mentions it. Previews, um, the Europa League previews. Um, we have tons of teams from the post-Soviet space on it. So Andrew Flint and I cover all the Ukrainian and Russian teams, and that can be found at football, um, footballgrad.com. Uh, Chris's Fußballstadt.com article is up and we'll, we'll cover Freiburg a bit more this week because of this game and uh, there will be some profiles and players and etc. That's all going to go up uh, on the various outlets. So yeah, that can be all found at Football Grad Live. Manu, am I right in saying that the, uh, the Giga Pressing Twitter page is going to be merging? Yes. Um, if you are following the Giga Pressing Twitter page or the um, any of the football sidage on Facebook or Fußballstadt on Facebook, um, and you haven't already, go follow at Footballgrad Live or at Fußballstadt, at uh, Footballgrad on uh, Facebook because we're going to merge all our social media into just the Footballgrad outlet. Very good. You'll be able to find it all in the exact same place. Lucky you, eh? Um, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. I suppose the only shout out I've got to do is uh, for the Galatza podcast. It was the, our first weekend back on Liga MX, uh, in the, yeah, that's the Mexican league. Um, we, we've had plenty to talk about, um, already and, uh, we'll probably be plotting a midweek and have that out soon for you. Um, I should start my vlogs, um, up again soon. Um, unfortunately this weekend I was in a land with no Wi-Fi. Chris knows how that feels as well. But anyway, uh, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll have another pod coming your way rather soon. I'll be there then. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.